Hello, bonsoir and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Adam White and Rich Allen. We open up the second half of the French football season with a bang. From the transfer window to cup shops as well as Liga returning. It's all in here in a stacked show. But before we discuss all that has happened in what has been a long week of football, here are your latest headlines. Rewinding back to last weekend to start off with as the Coupe de France saw the big guns enter at this stage and some huge victories as well for some lower tier sides. Sixth tier, Viry Châtillon uh, beat Angers. Léon Duchier knocked off Nîmes in a 3-0 victory. Uh, Entente uh, won against Montpellier. Second division side, Le Havre won against Bordeaux. But the most high-profile elimination was Marseille, who were down 2-0 by Andrézieux. Shocks also littered the midweek Coupe de la Ligue quarterfinals as we will have new winners for the first time in five years as Paris Saint-Germain's 44-game winning streak in the competition was ended by Gangomp 2-1. Strasbourg knocked out Lyon by the same scoreline. Monaco needed to win on penalties, eventually seeing off Rennes 8-7, while Bordeaux eked out it will eat into the semi-finals after a 1-0 win over Ligue 2 side Le Havre. Revenge for that coup de res- the result in the Coupe de France the weekend before. In Liga matters, Lille picked up where they left off with a 3-1 win at Caen to kick off the year, despite defender Zeki Selek seeing red before the end. Also on Friday night, Rance pushed on another defensive masterclass against Lyon, but could not hold on to a win with Bertrand Traore's deflected strike, earning Legon a one-all draw. On Saturday, PSG continued their unbeaten streak in the league with a 3-0 victory away to Amiens. Uh, Saint-Étienne are on the heels of Lyon now in fourth place after a 1-0 win over bottom side Gengomb, while Nice got back to winning ways with a 1-0 result over Bordeaux. Sunday saw the Breton derby between Nantes and Rennes end 1-0 to the latter, thanks to a Damien de Silva goal in the first half. Dijon earned a point with a one-all draw at home to Montpellier under new boss Antoine Comboire. Toulouse lose at home again as the 2-1 victory for Strasbourg see them maintain their European push, while Nîmes against Angers was the only postponement this weekend due to the Gilets protest and will now take place midweek on the 23rd of January. In the final game of the weekend, Marseille and Monaco ended up drawing one all at the Stade Velodrome, but that's not the complete story as Marseille fans will be ruining VAR yet again and referee decisions yet again after Florian Tovan's pro- support possible winner was disallowed for a foul on the goalkeeper. In transfer news, the bottom two have been the busy sides in Liga, with Monaco already bringing in four new faces. Naldo, William Van Queer, uh, Fode Balatore and Cesc Fabregas are all through the door, with rumours that Michi Bashwai could be the next name joining them sooner rather than later. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week 
with Liga and we'll go to the cup games soon after tonight's match which was between two sides that are really sort of heading in the wrong direction for both of their sakes maybe one more severely than the other at least Adam but Monaco and Marseille played out a draw this evening while Loem will always pick on that VAR decision it was a relatively trap game with few chances really and was maybe more of a microcosm of both of their seasons so far really yeah, I think that I think that's true. I think it was a little bit uh, a drab. I think with the velodrome in that sort of mood, it often becomes a little bit of a, a sort of a black hole and kind of sucks all the positivity out. With Marseille so very quick to turn on on their players and and then on their team, it's I think when they finished thirteenth a couple of seasons ago, there was sort of famous scenes of them playing the Benny Hill theme music from the stands and then holding up pictures of goats. Uh, which is sort of the French equivalent of being sort of a, a donkey, if you like, a sort of derogatory term, uh, sort of chastising their players so uh it's it quite often becomes like this and i think tonight was a classic sort of velodrome sort of evening where all the sort of positivity is kind of sucked out you know the fans are sort of uh encouraging other fans the ultra groups were encouraging other fans to come and to, to the game and, and protest and aside from their poor form it was still a pretty pretty significant crowd and uh i think a lot of those fans were there to, to air their grievances rather than support their team and i think that kind of affected the game quite substantially but I think I think for Marseille, 100%, it is a much, very much a microcosm of their season so far. Very few ideas. Dimitri Payet on the fringe of the game, unable to get a hold of things and performing pretty poorly, to be honest. He, I felt like he did virtually nothing in, in this game. And the, the, the onus is always on Florian Tuvan to... To, to to find something to, to rescue them and he's the only player again for me at least that started that looks like he was going to create something or just to, to score or to have that sort of moment that would keep them in the game and and even he was very quiet for the first hour it was just sort of the last half an hour he really came into it when when Monaco when Marseille were on top and his goal for me which I'm sure we discussed probably shouldn't have been allowed disallowed sorry so yeah, for them, absolutely, it was a microcosm of their season. But for Mar for Monaco, I, I felt like there was there was signs of improvement. You know, they've got the funds to go out and improve their team, and that's something they're going to do both in this window and the next. And you'd imagine that they'll they'll continue to improve with players like Naldo, who's a very experienced, very bullish defender. You know, very good at organising those around you, a leader playing against playing alongside Balashile, who was less than half his age. You know, they, they, there's going to be improvement there. And Fabregas, although we had a quiet start, grew into the game. And I think he could be an absolutely massive signing for them. And with players like Lopez coming back and Tielemans, perhaps with a little bit of guidance from Fabregas hitting some form, I thought he was decent tonight. His goal was good. Uh, there's some improvement from, from, from Monaco. So um, for Marseille, absolutely, I think it was just a continuation of the same. And Garcia arguing with Payet on the bench. I don't, I don't know if, if everybody caught that, but there was a bit of sort of uh, to and fro between them when he came off, uh, justly as a substitute because he'd been very poor. Um, Garcia's in trouble but for, for me Monaco tonight anyway showed signs of some improvement so hopefully it won't be too bleak at the start of Louis for the rest of the year Yeah and it was a frustrating one for Loem Rich I mean they never really seemed to get much together and, and both had good chances I know Golovin had that that chance just at the start of the second half and Pai had a shot where he just drills it into the ground where he maybe should do a little bit better and they'll certainly be aggrieved about that VAR decision but it doesn't really relieve the pressure on Rudy Garcia anymore especially after the result that we'll talk about a little bit later so there's a, a little tease for you all but um, how important maybe to Rudy Garcia maybe that 
decision to disallow that goal because in in full time it it was difficult to see anything wrong with it. I don't think anyone pulled anything up. In slow motion, that tackle, much like some others that we saw in slow motion this weekend, I'm thinking maybe Paul Pogba's challenge on uh, on uh, Deli Ali as well in the in the Premier League as well. It looks a lot worse than it probably was in slow motion, which makes the decision for the referee that kind of feels like he has to overturn that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see why Marseille fans will see it as a contentious decision. I think the end, the end thing that we need to look at here is, is was it a foul? Well, I think you put that between two outfield players in the centre circle, and yeah, you probably are giving that as a foul. Um, I think slow motion, of course, slow motion does make it look worse, but ultimately, a Campos's studs, um, you know, make contact, don't make contact with the ball and make contact with Benaglio's um, ankle. So I think, yeah, it, it, ultimately it is a foul. I may I may be accused of uh, anti-Marseille bias there, but I think I think it is. But you know, I do I do feel an element of sympathy for for Marseille fans. It is it is tough to see that, but I think looking back on it, it, it is a foul. I think the right decision um, was was given there. I think. More to the point, it also would have been very, very harsh, I think, on Monaco. I think, as Adam said, um, definite improvements from Monaco. Um, I thought the three new signings um, settled in you know, really, really well. I thought I thought Balo Torre especially looked uh, really good down the left. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the fact that Ronnie Lopez is now back as well is almost as cliched as it is. It almost feels like a new signing um, in its in his own right. Um, so I think there's positive signs there for Monaco, but it's it's a real struggle, I think, for Marseille. And they may, you know, they I don't think in the grand scheme of things they're going to look back on on the decision to rule out that goal as a as a decisive moment in their season. I think the decisive moment in their season was back in the summer. I think really for failing to to recruit adequately, failing to plug the the the, the clear and obvious issues within that squad, which now makes you know the next couple of weeks imperative and hugely important in the grand scheme of their 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 season because you know with um with the with the sixth place seemingly not going to be going to um a european qualification spot this year with uh, none of the teams left in the in the coupe de la league probably certain probably not going to finish in the in the top six then you know it does make this possibility of marseille completely missing out on europe uh you know, a very, very real thing, um, which considering, you know, where they were last season, where they were perhaps the season before and everything that that um, that McCourt has looked to do since he came into the, since he, he bought the club and, and the sort of champions project would be an unmitigated disaster. So I think what happens in the next two weeks in terms of recruitment, in terms of, of Garcia's position as, as coach of the team, and in terms of the players that are already there that need to really book their ideas up, um, the next two weeks, I think, will be the two weeks that are going to shape the rest of their season. Yeah, especially with a lot of teams play these midweek games over January to try and catch up with what we've missed out with with the Gilets jaunes protests. I mean, looking at Marseille's fixtures, Saint-Étienne away is a tough one with the form that Levera are in and the position they're in at the moment. Away to Caen is maybe a little bit more secure, but they finish the month with a home trip, a home game against Lille, which is not the easiest game at the moment. They Garcia needs results, and those games aren't necessarily indicative of giving them him, but... 
Ocon maybe is a little bit easier than others, but that's, that's not a favourable gauntlet for them to run. And as for Monaco, really, um, it, Adam, you may say that performances are getting better, at least in the Thierry Henry, but at the same time, for his own position, they've brought in a lot of players that maybe signal some good faith in him, but at the same time, Franck Passy's come in as an assistant, really, to him, and not supposedly not under his um, stewardship, at least anyway, or his advice. And that maybe puts even more pressure on him to deliver results now. And with a midweek game coming up for them as well against uh, Nice in a derby and then a, well, and a home game against Strasbourg as well, who are flying at the moment. Again, they need to start getting results to start pulling them out of the mire, don't they? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true uh, in one respect. I, it, it depends for me how Monaco are now seeing this season, how internally they've decided to rationalise the, the fact that they've had such a poor season and that their transfer policy up until this point has been completely completely wayward. Um, so I, I think, yes, the, the pressure is definitely increasing a little bit on Henri to, to get results given the players they've brought in because with the tools at his disposal by the end of the window, given that Fabregas, Naldo, Valtore, maybe a few others will, will have joined Batshuayi, Pats, as you mentioned, might have come in. You would expect that team to get results. And if they don't get results, then you, ha you obviously you, you take it back to, to Henri and that he, he's a little, bit, a little bit out of his depth and, and fingers have started to be pointed. But there may be the situation that they, they start to think that given how how disastrous this season has been they're not probably they can't be expecting to, to push top six even though the league is very compacted you can't see them pushing in even into the top half really I mean well maybe but I, I but probably not so they might say that they just write the season off don't get relegated build for next season and then Henri is not under any pressure for the rest of the year and it's next season having had another transfer window that they say, okay, this is where we expect, having had a season to get his feet under the table, had a, having had these players with him for the most part, assuming that there aren't too many signs in the summer or too many too much overturn in the summer, you've had them for a season and, and they know how you how you want to play and they, they should be fully sort of entrenched into the whatever this Monaco model is becoming. That's where the results come. So it'd be interesting to see how they how they play it because it, especially if they do not pick up as much as is expected in the second half of the year. You could see him under genuine pressure, but I have a feeling that he might be given a little bit more time than 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 all that. But um, in an individual kind of case, he certainly will be expecting more from his team in terms of results as as the as the, as the year goes on. But whether the the hierarchy at the club feel the same way, I I don't know because you you have a feeling this what this Yon reappointment is supposedly a long term thing that. Uh, all right, they've had a bad season and the, the squad has been all over the place and has so many injuries and everything's gone against them that they you'd hope they'd give him a bit more time than than that, given the resource he was given at the start of the year with a very bizarre transfer policy. So um, it, it'd be interesting how it plays out, but at least in, in, in the short term, you'd hope they'd start to improve. Mm, yeah, and that'll be the interesting thing heading forward, really, for, for Thierry Henry, because little things still not quite right maybe in games decisions I mean I don't know if it was maybe more of an injury thing that's come out afterwards but decision to take off Fodio Balatori in that game when he was playing so well unless it was a fitness issue uh, which I can't imagine Joe he's played loads of games for Leo this season it seemed a, a very strange one but we'll have to wait and see and keep an eye on it because we we move on really to um, something that certainly involved Marseille at least and that's the Coupe de France shocks and that they had a massive one as they lost to uh to, to four-tier four opposition really and in in the uh, Andrézieux um 
rich and it was full of it really i mean we always loved this round of the cup i know a lot of uh english listeners love the the third round of the fa cup and the chances for shocks in there but the coupe de france in january when they when the big sides have to go away to all these difficult grounds and and you always get a shock or two but particularly marseille's loss and uh, the the win for vrishatillion against uh, angers as well um two massive results that you never really see coming yeah, it's, it is a wonderful round, um, the the ninth round of the Coupe de France, just because you get such a variety. Um, you know, the Coupe de France has such a, a huge number of teams. It, you know, it, it speaks volumes that we get to the ninth round and it's only the ninth round that the top flight teams actually join the competition. Um, you know, we have, we have teams as far as sort of the sixth tier of French football. We, of course, have the teams um, from, from overseas and we have one, one left in. Uh, at the ninth round um, from Martinique, who only narrowly, only very narrowly went down by three goals to two at, at second tier Orléans. Um, it, yeah, it's a wonderful round. Um, and you're right. Yeah, we do normally see some shocks. It felt this, certainly this year, this round, the um, the shocks actually felt a little bit, you know, they, were, they certainly felt there was more shocks, I think. And, and certainly, um, you know, Marseille going out, um, to to fourth tier opposition um, was certainly the one that caught the headlines purely because of obviously Marseille uh, being who they are and the history that they carry. I think perhaps the alarming thing for Marseille was that really, aside from the league difference, um, the two nil two nil to to Andre Zou was was not was not flattering them. Um, you know, it was a a really accomplished performance. You know, you wouldn't have said. There were four four divisions between, um, uh, sorry, three divisions between these two teams. Um, you know, Marseille were very, 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 very poor, um, and it was not it was not a weak team either, which should probably be pointed out. It was not a weak team that Marseille put out. There were plenty of first teamers in there. You know, Tovan was playing, um, but Andres Yu made them just just they weren't they weren't daunted. They showed them absolutely zero respect at all. And in the end, 2-0 was, was probably actually almost quite kind for Marseille, which seems a ludicrous thing to say, but it's it's how the game went. It was it was just remarkable to see, you know, Marseille and the Giants that they they still are, you know, we you know, the, the troubles that they're in, they are still, you know, one of France was probably France's second biggest team, um, with all the history that they've got. To have just gone out in such a miserable and embarrassing fashion was was really really poor to see, um, but you know they they were just one of many shocks. You know there were five divisions between Viry Chatillon and, uh, and Angers, um, and again that wasn't you know overly a, a fluke result. Viry Chatillon were, were were very accomplished in their performance, and it really does I think. Uh, speak volumes to to how far down the quality can go because we were seeing really good football from from these semi-professional not even some complete amateur teams um you know all the way down and there's some there's some really really terrific stories um behind some of these teams that's that's well worth looking into um but it's a, it's a fantastic round of football um and this year we were really treated to some real giant killing yeah, exactly. You can see some of the the results and some of the 
terrific performances. I mean, you look at Leon Duchesne, who beat Nîmes as well, that, you know, won 3-0. It's a really big victory over um, a, a, a League 2 champions in the Liga side. And even teams that managed to qualify through Gangomp against Stad Pontivide, that was tough at times, even though it ended up being 4-2. They they sort of scraped on through. Uh, Connor only won 1-0 against Red Star. A red card for the home side really helped push that boat out a little bit further, really. And there's a couple more that, I mean, there's still even Strasbourg have to face Grenoble um, in, on Wednesday as they sort of had theirs postponed, well, sort of moved back a little bit. And even your side, Rich Renat had to win on penalties against Brestois, um, second of his Vietnam side, and some of the rewards for some of them. I mean, the only frustrating thing for a few of them, Adam, is especially, well, the two big ones, well, two of the big ones we've mentioned, at least in Andre Zier, has to face Leon Duchet, which is positive for them to get a chance of, of going through to the next round, but a bit shame that they're facing each other. That, but Entente, who who managed a, a great win against Montpellier, have not to welcome as well. Um, the the Saint-Privé, uh, Saint-Hilaire, who are facing Rennes as well. That That's a, a good result for them. Uh, Very Châtillon looked to try and take on another league on side in Caen at home as well. Um, it's a magical cup tournament, really, to see what we will sort of get through to. But five league on sides, it surely piles more pressure on some of these managers because... Every single year we see a, a smaller side get to the semis and even the final like we saw with Les Herbiers last season. Um, you have to feel like some of these bigger sides think we should be doing a little bit better in the in what can be a really tricky um, away games that they, they do tend to get. Yeah, absolutely. You would feel like that the strength of Ligon might might tell eventually, but it never seems to. Um, it's there's, I always get the feeling it's uh, in other countries... Uh, don't you know when this kind of thing happens perhaps in the uk we sort of celebrate the fact that our lower leagues are, are so strong but i get sometimes get a feeling in france that it's it's all the opposite and they say isn't isn't league and you know much worse than we we sort of thought it was because they keep losing to these lower division teams but i think for, for the coup de france there's just so many magical things about it that perhaps go for european in a wider european context go under the radar like the fact that the bigger teams nearly always play away from home is, is great when you see, I remember Bordeaux lost at Granville last year and it looked like they were playing in just like a university. Like they were, were playing away there when they, they lost it in, in, on it, I think it might be an extra time um, when when uh, I think Basmin Gorvanek was sort of on his way out. Um, and the fact that the the league Dirt teams go in a lot earlier than the championship teams do in 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 the uh, in the FA Cup. So um, when it comes to this round, a lot of them have been knocked out either by playing each other or playing third division teams, or you know they've rested players because the cup the league is is much more important. Which means you get the lower sides playing each other as well as playing league league un teams. More of them get through, more of them have to play you know play each other, so they don't play bigger teams, and they get to this sort of round, which is why you end up with. You know, Lazerbier in the final, or or, t or third or fourth division teams getting to the course in semis on a regular basis because one, they're capable of beating the bigger teams as we've seen them time and time again, and two, when they don't play the bigger teams, they play each other. So it's um it's 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 absolutely fantastic fun, and uh, uh, I I would I would say despite being you know English and and you know the FA Cup is held held up as this greatest cup competition in the world, I I would argue these days that the French Cup 
supersedes it quite comfortably given how how many shocks there are and and how much fun it is and uh, uh, rich mentioned the tide from martinique that only lost to orleon and uh, absolutely fantastic i remember a couple of years ago excelsior from reunion played Lille and and were two, only two one down in injury time before they went for it and, and got caught on the break twice and lost four one that, that kind of thing just you know doesn't really happen as much as it used to in in, in other cup competitions so the, the french cup is a great advert for french football and uh, long long may it continue yeah, you, you you have to think that some of these smaller sides coming from Martinique and Réunion, how are they sort of fund being able to maybe yeah. come across if they if they need kind to have a away trip, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, if they if they do end up having to have one of those sort of games where they have to, well, if, say a league deux side maybe has has to face them, or a third tier side getting over there. I hope there's a way of the FFP. I think I think there. I think I think actually um, all the. Um, all the teams that are overseas do actually play their games in France. And actually the, the French Football Federation actually fund those teams coming across. Because uh, obviously we're talking of, yeah. you know, you, you look, you're looking at Reunion or, or Martinique, that's, you know, 3,000 miles at least. Uh, and that's one way, <laughs> you know, these teams aren't going to be able to afford that. And, and arguably, you know, why... Why perhaps should they be expected to pay for it? So yeah, there are there are uh, provisions in place. I think that that teams like that do receive the funding um, to to make their uh, make their travel to the mainland. Yeah, super. I, I thought it must be something like that. I can't imagine they would make them stump up for some sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I think you make a great point, Adam. I think maybe the English would maybe say, well, a lot of us English would say that, oh, but you miss out on the chance of going to Old Trafford or or uh, the Emirates or, you know, Wembley at the moment, if you get Tottenham really, if, if, already, I mean, that's probably the only mishap of, of not necessarily mishap, but it, I suppose it creates more shocks that the big teams have to go to the smaller sides uh, in away games. But um, would you trade the shock for the, the day out? See, I think that's always going to be sort of the balancing act between the two arguments, but I don't think you can really be wrong either way. But uh, another great cup week we had as well, because in the Coupe de la Ligue in midweek, we had some shocks in that as well, which is... Um, terrific to see because we will get new winners to start off with Rich and that's because of Gangom's victory over Paris Saint-Germain it took three penalties to do it in the end they missed one and, and, and grabbed two and they were all pretty much penalties and sort of PSG imploded with bookings in the last couple of minutes for Neymar and Cavani all, all arguing but terrific result for Gangom that you would hope have given them confidence going into the season but that blows this competition wide open uh, it blows the competition wide open, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was an element of, of, of good fortune, then, but also an element of, as you say, PSG really imploding. I think it was three penalties they conceded in, in the final 30 minutes, which is just ridiculous, really. Um, and, you, you know, you have to admire the, the, um, the, the sort of confidence and self-belief in Marcus Churam because he was the one that, that had missed an earlier penalty and then in the 93rd minute, um, decided, you know what, after Ngakoto had, had equalised from the penalty spot for Gangol, Turan decided, I'm going to take this spot kick. And he, he was quite lucky. It was not a, it was not a particularly well-hit penalty. And, and Ariola, upon looking back on it, might think, I oh, probably could have saved that. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's excellent to see from a neutral perspective um you know it's 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 going to be nice to see someone else um lift the trophy uh towards the end of the season 
Um, and I think also then, yeah, as you say, as you look for Dan Gob themselves, I think Gorvanek was just looking for that performance um, following his return to the club that could kickstart their season. Um, and I think uh, we'll come on to transfers, but I think you look at a combination of the transfers and quite possibly this result. Um, I know they lost at the weekend uh, at home to Saint-Étienne, but again, it was a marked, marked improvement in terms of performance from them that they could use you know, that, that win against PSG and maybe a run to the final and then who knows in the final um, is a, is that confidence boost that they need to, to rediscover some form and, and and sort of take them out of that relegation mire that they're in. And th- this is the interesting thing about the other games really in there because the other side that's come through is is Monaco who will take on Gangomp in the in the semi-finals thanks to their win on penalties and what started off as a, one of the worst penalty shootouts really but ended quite nicely at least anyway um, and then uh, other shock really I suppose it's a slightly lesser shock but in a cup game it it is I suppose for for Strasbourg to be beating Leon um, Adam it that sort of knocks out the other team you would think right okay if, if Paris Saint-Germain are in then, then these are going to go out and, and even Bordeaux sort of had to struggle through Le Havre and it leaves four teams that like we've mentioned earlier aren't necessarily in the European shake-up especially the ones in that first semi-final and we've got Strasbourg Bordeaux whom uh, the, you could maybe ask, argue Strasbourg if they continue their current form might be um, trying to fight for that sixth place but that looks like it it might be lost for well it might not be even something that people can fight for now um, an interesting semi-finals and difficult to pick a winner from it really I, I suppose a couple of months ago you might have said Monaco if they weren't in the bottom two but now they're in that position you're thinking well it could be any of these four yeah it really could it's going to be fantastic and i think that the the semi-finals i'm i'm really excited for them because there's going to be this there's going to be sort of an added level of competitiveness to those games because all four of those teams will be thinking we could win this and you know we could get into the europa league for next season uh i know gang on won cups of late and, and they've been in the europa league did really well got to knockout round and only now he lost to donna mckiev when gorvin it was there in his first spell bordeaux are desperate for a way back in with their um, with their investment for the, the American group in the summer. You know, they need to be in Europe to, as, if they're going to adopt this model of, of, you would imagine, of sort of buying younger players and selling them on. It's a good sort of shop window. Monaco could have a bit of a get-out clause this first on re-season, as we were talking before. You know, they could find themselves with the Europa League spot and come into, into next season with an improved team. You know, they, that could be really, really good for them. Um, and Strasbourg, who are having a fantastic season up in sixth in Ligue 1, um, they might they might finish in top six anyway, but it'd be great to have a club like them who are such a such a big team and such so well supported. It's a credit to French football. It'd be great to have them representing the league in in Europe. So all four of those teams would be going hell for leather for these for these semi finals, and I, I, hopefully it'll come through in the games and, and they'll be exciting and, and tense and, and close. Um, for me, I, I I maybe there's something in of the narrative in in this that Henri might somehow manage to win a, a trophy despite this terrible start to the season he's he's had with Monaco. Um, that, that might be quite nice. So I, maybe Monaco, as, with this improving 11, might be a good shout if they focus on it and admit that they're not going to get through in the, you know, anywhere in the league. Um, that, would be, that would be quite good. But maybe Bordeaux on form and, uh, and, and quality might, might nick it. But it's so close. It's going to be great. And I, I really look forward to those, those two games. I don't think after I've watched Bordeaux the last couple of games, I'm not really certain they maybe got the yeah. the uh, the gusto for it because then you point to Strasbourg who are in fantastic form and have got some 
good players and they've got a chance. Monaco certainly ha- out of the four have the quality on paper. If you were just, football's never played on paper, but if you put it on there, you would see them as favourites. And then maybe you think Gangomp. Beat PSG. Have- yeah, yeah, and they have the freedom on this sort of tournament of going, well, there's nothing to lose in these kind of games, even if um, Govanek decides, okay, maybe I need to rest one or two of them, really, for for uh, for the games that are coming up, especially because it sort of sits in the middle of a load of games that they're getting midweek. They might be knackered, so they, they might need a couple of reinforcements. But maybe at the same time, that gives them the freedom to, to push on them and try and win this one. They've been in cup finals before and won cup competitions before so it's uh, not unheard of for, for a side like them it's going to be really interesting to watch now I suppose everyone can switch off the, the fact that sometimes maybe we, we ignore the Coupe de Ligue thinking oh Paris Saint-Germain are going to win this but now it's going to be certainly one for you to catch up on midweek starting on the Tuesday the 29th of January on to transfers now because the window is open again and that's certainly been a topic for a number of teams but especially for those ones at the bottom we've already spoken about some of them that have made their debut tonight for Monaco, Rich, they've been the busiest so far, bringing in Fabregas, Balatore. Um, now they're all appeared tonight. Van Queer, obviously on a on a loan deal as well, did not make an appearance. And there's rumours that Batshuayi is pretty close to joining them on a loan deal as well, coming back to Liga, which will cause the ire of Marseille fans, if anyone else, at least anyway. Um, it, it, Good acquisitions on their part. A couple of experienced players in there, especially in the in the form of Naldo, people with Ligue 1 experience as well as a creative player in Fabregas. Is that the kind of men that they need to bring in and bring in quickly? Absolutely. I think these are excellent signings for Monaco. Um, you know, you look at Naldo, he's been there, done that. Huge amount of Bundesliga experience. Um, you know, quality defender. Um, he's able to come in. Um, certainly in the two games that he's played so far, he's looked he's looked comfortable. Um, it's it's going to perhaps ease a little bit of the burden as the experienced defender off Glick, who I think has really struggled of late. Um, it's going to be another um, you know senior presence in what is a fairly young squad. Um, and as we saw t- you know in tonight's game um, in Benoit Badiashile, um, uh, you know. I thought Badia Chile had a really good game and again benefiting from playing alongside someone with with um you know the know-how of the game and the experience that Naldo's got is terrific. Uh Balo Torre, I thought he's uh, uh he's a really good signing. Um you know he's had a he's had a strong start to the season with with Lille. Um uh, again, you know, I can only use tonight's game as an example, but you know, he was he was really good there on the left, as I'd said previously. Fabregas, you know, we know of his quality. We know he perhaps isn't quite the player he once was, but he's going to add experience to that midfield. Vision, he's going to add some ability, um, and he's got and the creativity he's got will be hugely important. Uh, we saw it in in just a couple of glimpses uh, during the game tonight. There was certainly a a, a pass that he delivered really late on. Um, which almost created an opportunity. Did create an opportunity for Tielemon, who didn't quite uh, quite took it away. But I think Fabregas will probably be the arguably be the single most important signing that they'll have made. I think Vancouver, uh, you know, he has experience in midfield, and then if they can bring in Batshuayi as well, um, you know, as was evident tonight, a lack of a of a reliable goal scorer. Um, you know, with Falcao, I know reasons that he's missed the game of late uh, are not you know. 
are very unfortunate with the passing of his father and an illness tonight. Um, but you know, Fabregas is a proven league and goal scorer. Um, it's it's it, I sort of struggle to think why he's not made a success of any of his 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 moves since leaving uh, since leaving Marseille. Um, but if if Monaco can bring him on in, him bring him in on loan, you know that's a, that's another excellent signing. Um, it's it's going to give them a real presence up front, and all of a sudden then Thierry Henry has got a a starting eleven and you know free, a couple of fringe players that actually can take this team forward again and and uh, you know start to move them away from from the base of the table. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing they really need to be happening because the other side that have done a lot of business is Gengomp. I mean, there's, there's little bits and pieces from Montpellier. They've brought in Ristic and, and Suarez and uh, Con have brought in a, and Dom on loan from, from Rance. That's pretty much it. And Soji to, to lose. But Adam, Gengomp are another side that need reinforcements and they've brought in some uh, league and experience again in Didier and Dong from Sunderland and, and Papi Djilobodji as well from Sunderland, but obviously was out of contract as well. They've also brought in Larson, who did play at the weekend as well from Bromby. Um, a couple of interesting signings, really. That steal that maybe they're missing at the moment with the with the with their struggling um, at the back, at least anyway. But experience are those the right kind of players for that um, Govanek needs, not just for now, but if they manage to pull themselves out of the mire, that players that they can be players they can use going forward as well. Yeah, they're interesting ones. I think they're definitely a bit of a gamble, given the way that uh, both Gillibodji and, and, and Dom's careers finished at, at Sunderland. You know, they've both been uh, out of out of the loop for, for quite some time, I think, and Dom's been back in, in, in uh, Gabon uh, and hasn't played uh, at this sort of level for quite some time. And, and Gillibodji um, was, was on at Dijon, perhaps, is it last season, maybe, or even the season before now? Um, but he was he was good there, so he he may be a little bit more of a, of a sure thing. But again, he he won't be fit for a few weeks at least, and and, and Dom definitely won't be. So, um, although both those two players have league and experience and and a sufficient amount of league and quality for a side at the bottom of the league, they're probably they're probably decent gambles to make. But they are remain you know they remain uh, gambles nonetheless. It'll be interesting to see how they turn out. I think and Dong's an interesting one in particular because he has a lot to prove, and he left Lorient far too early for me. And was not ready for for the Premier League, and, and it showed. And you know, and obviously it sort of coincided with Sunderland's sort of deterioration. But he, he has a lot to prove. And, and given the way it ended for him at Sunderland, with his contract being cancelled and him not showing up for pre-season and him falling out with them, he's he's got to prove. So he, if he can get in the team and, and get playing, he might be prove hungry and, and and prove to have some sort of effect on 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 the midfield. Um, Alexandre Mendy is an interesting one as well. They could have signed him as their wild card signing, where another French team can sign uh, from a French team can sign another player from another French club outside the window, signed from Bordeaux, who's obviously very successful there, or relatively successful, very pushing it, relatively successful under Gorvalet the first time round before leaving for Bordeaux. Um, he's he's kind of the, it's kind of a very Gorvalet signing. I remember him signing Sankare for, for, from Bordeaux because he sort of knew him and knew how to get the best out of him. And although Sankare has been up and down at Bordeaux, it was the kind of thing that, that, that Gorvalet likes to do. And um, he'd only spent half a season at Lille, I seem to remember Sankai, before going to Bordeaux. It was a bit of a weird one, but it, it, it's, it's just another player that he knows and he knows how to get the best out of. So hopefully he'll prove an addition as well. And Larson was was very good at, at Bromby, as far as I understand. Um, could be a really good addition. Short at that defence, can play further forward. Um, and 
he could prove an interesting signing that you know it might be the sort of situation where he he moves on later on in uh, in in the year perhaps if if he proves successful and, and it makes some money out of that transfer I, I don't know but he could be an addition in in the running so a few gambles but ones that you would hope are, are, are worthwhile and and could well pay off so hopefully Gangon will, will keep in it for the rest of the year and won't be sort of sucked into that league de trapdoor too soon yeah absolutely and one real departure so far there's not really been others other than Balotore really leaving Lille, which I think makes a lot of sense, really. It's not necessarily a, a very good player, but not necessarily the, someone they're relying on while also allowing them to get some money in, which is desperately needed still, even though uh, Pepe may be someone that looks at, maybe not this winter break, at least anyway now, but maybe in the summer. But um, the one big one, Adam, that I know a lot of British listeners will want to hear about is Timothy Ware, who's heading on loan to, to Celtic as well. He's only played a couple of times really for Paris Saint-Germain and he was well down the pecking order really with uh, obviously the, the main two stars really, but when you add in Di Maria plays there if they need to or, or, or Draxler can play there if they need to or even Chupamoteng and even further down the line and Kunku as well, um, he had a lot really riding on him, but this is maybe the perfect chance for him to show what he can do um, in a good environment where players from Paris Saint-Germain have succeeded in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really interesting move. Um, you forget, given that Timothy Ware's name has been around for such a long time, that he's still only 18. He's still a very, very young young player. And given the promise that he's shown so far at uh, at PSG, um, playing in the in the uh, youth, youth league setup, he, he did relatively well there. And then breaking into the team under Unai Emery, although... Uh, he didn't get too many chances last season. When he did, he looked lively, sort of played either up front or off the right-hand side and and looked like he had ability. And it, listening to him speak this week, um, he's he's very, very sort of, he's very, seems anyway, very level-headed and very focused, uh, a very focused young chap. So he could be a, a really good uh, addition for Celtic. I think for him, though, it's the classic 18-year-old striker with ability that he's he's obviously going places, but he remains very, very raw. And when you look at that Celtic team and you look at the players, as you mentioned, that have, like Odson Edward, who, who's there, I, I'd argue that he, he's not, at the moment, on par with Edouard. The way he's been playing at Celtic, he's become pretty much ever-present in that team and, and done really, really well. He's been injured the last couple of weeks and only come off the bench, but he's, he's really has proven himself there. And he's a couple of years more developed than, than Tim Rare. But... It's one of the things that will develop towards the end of the season. I think that this is the, exactly the kind of kind of proving ground that he needs because having dropped out of the PSG team at the start of the season, he was very prominent in preseason, and then he was dragged off at halftime in that game away at Gangon, where PSG were were poor in the first half and um, unlucky not to be behind at the break. And they think they did go one 0 down eventually, and he hasn't made an eighteen since then, and that was that was what mid August. So he, he clearly needs game time. He clearly needs consistency. He clearly needs to play uh, at a Obviously, the press Scottish Premier League isn't the highest level, but at a at a decent enough standard where he's going to learn things and be tested. And I think by the end of the season, we might be saying he's superseded Austin Edouard, and, and he'll come back to PSG and maybe another loan in league league and next year could could be could be great for him. So really interesting signing. Hopefully, he'll uh, he'll develop and and we'll see him score some goals uh, at, at Celtic Park. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's going to be an exciting one, I will say, at least anyway, for you Celtic fans. It's always great seeing a young player go come come through and play some football. He does have a, a bit of his dad's uh, swagger sometimes. It'd be great to see if he can do something like that. Um, Rich, just before we move on, really, to, to some 
managerial change that's happened in, in Liga since the break. It, uh, what we always like from yourself, and if you don't follow Rich on Twitter, it's Rich underscore Allen at 85 because he's always great at scouring these French websites and the French news for, for some rumours. Is there any juicy gossip that you've really seen over the last sort of week or so that, that you want to share with us, Rich? Um, I suppose that the main one is the one that, that was actually from tonight um, with, with Abdoulaye Ducouré. Uh, he was on Canal Football Club, um, which is obviously a big um, a big TV programme in in France um, on Sunday evenings. And he made an appearance there. So he made an appearance um, a couple of weeks ago, I think, where he just expressed that, you know, obviously he's familiar with PSG. He's aware that they're supposedly interested in him, that he loves going to Paris because that's where he's from, that's where his family is. He then made an appearance in person um, tonight and made some, frankly, quite bold statements, um, leading off with that that he thinks he is going to be leaving Watford, um, that, that the club know his his ambitions and know that he wants and, and will, will get their support in moving on to the next level. Um he says that his ultimate goal is still to be playing well for Watford, but he wants to be moving to a Champions League team. Um, he says if there's an opportunity to join PSG, of course, that he'll he'll look into that. Um, almost probably the biggest clue that he's, he's sort of making this plea to PSG was when he was talking about where he likes to play. And he was saying that he likes to, you know, he can play at the, uh, number 10, a number 8, and a number 6, but that his favourite position is... Lo and behold, exactly what PSG need, defensive midfielder. Um, but he said this winter they're going to look at opportunities, um, but that, um, you know, he, he was reiterating really that, you know, he will he's not going to let his focus drop from Watford, but ultimately he's going to use playing for Watford well as the launch pad um, to, to playing for a club in Europe. Um, and perhaps just to try and make it so it wasn't quite such an obvious um, almost PSG interview. Um, he was saying that staying in England was a was not something was something that he was not going to be ruling not going to be ruling out that that remained a possibility, uh, and also a move to Italy. But ultimately, his 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 first um, priority is to uh, move to a club in the Champions League. So, with with PSG so heavily linked with sort of four or five defence in Europe, but obviously with um, finances on a slightly restrictive level. Um, it remains to be seen whether Ducouré is a possibility or with the rumours that um, they've uh, they've got a contract in, in, in place and an agreement with, with Frankie de Jong of Ajax. Um, and it's just a case now of getting a fee agreed, which they expect to be about 75 million. So it's a case of whether they act now to bring someone like Ducouré in or, or Idrissa Gay from, from Everton. Um, both will probably be around the same same sort of expenditure of 40 to 50 million. Or do they just, you know, leave it, risk, a big risk in terms of Champions League, but, um, you know, sort of go all in then for the for the Dion capture in the summer. So we'll, uh, we'll be certain to keep an eye out on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think depending on financial fair play, really, they might try and do both, really. I, I think they might try and maybe get a Ducori in a, or, a, or a guy for, for this sort of, like you say, for the Champions League this summer, at least anyway, because um, it's only going to really help them bring in someone in like that who's not 
had Champions League player and someone that will be um, really good for them next season, at least anyway, to, as part of the squad, and then go for Frankie de Jong as an extra midfielder, really. I know um, Adam's talked about how good Draxler's been as well and, and, and the likes, but with Rabiot out the door, with midfield really being a, a problem position for them, really, anyway, especially when you have to say that while Verratti has been pretty fit this season, it's not been the case the last couple of seasons, really. They do need to cover there and having a couple of options and Stokes in the fire is never never a bad thing at least anyway uh, just before we head to our snapshots this week uh, Antoine Kumbora has rejoined Leon pretty quickly after his dismissal at Gangon he's popped up at Dijon it seems like um, any sort of contract dispute was sorted out over the, the winter break uh, Adam it's a good appointment from from most point of views really I mean they got a draw as well at home to Montpellier which is nothing to be sniffed at really even went ahead in the game as well so um, great result for them to, to start off with Kumbari but he's exactly the kind of man that will be um, propping Dijon up and make them a, more of the sum of their parts Yeah definitely I think it's a, a good sort of firefighting appointment from, from Dijon and, and a, a pretty sort of obvious one too you know um, given that their form had deteriorated after a really good uh, a really good run last season when we talked about them a lot on the pod where they were fantastic at home and they actually had the fifth best home record in the league last year after the top four uh, of PSG Monaco, Marseille and Lyon. Uh, and they're really exciting to watch. And Olivier Diallo was there for six and a half years and, and did fantastically. Dijon aren't a particularly big side. This is their only only their second run in, in Ligue 1. And they had only one previous season before he got them promoted. Um, and I, I would hope that uh, Dijon, you know, he's done. Olivier Diallo has done enough at Dijon to, to warrant a return to Ligue 1, given that he played attractive football last year with with limited resources. And they even started this season relatively well with three straight wins. But obviously, we, we talked about it a little bit before. But it seems that um, his message sort of failing to get through anymore, and and, and it, it really fell away. But hopefully, after such a long time at the club and and so so many good performances and good results over the course of several seasons, you hope that he would be. Um, on the league and shortlists, uh, at least in the bottom half, for when they are next looking for a manager. Um, for Kambare, I think um, he's very well respected and he's been around a long time, you know, managed PSG and, and uh, a number of others. Um, Lons, I seem to remember when they, they got relegated under you know, extenuating circumstances. And he is a type of coach much, I don't want to, I don't want to be of a cliche to say like a, a French Sam Allardyce or a French Tony Pulis, but he will do a similar job that he will stabilise the club and he'll get them organised and they will, they will. Uh, I'd imagine they they stay up uh, uh, now with him with him in charge, and um, it's really interesting to see what their long term plan is. I, I don't know that. Although Kambari did a great job at Gangon to start with, you know, and obviously his best players all over the summer, and I don't know that Gorvenex can be able to save them without significant additions. Although we talked about a few they've brought in, but whether that's enough remains remains um, you know in doubt. Um, what their what Dijon's long term plans remains interesting. Whether they expect Kambari to take them on back to sort of mid table or above mid table, where they threatened to at times last to be last at times last season. Or whether they, as I said, they are a very small team and, and by comparison to so many others in the league and whether they expect just to, to maintain their league and status is, is, is huge for them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but he's certainly the right appointment. Yeah, because we're starting to see maybe the the table start to shape. I mean, after we've sort of ca caught up with all these games, we'll see it a little bit clearer. But you're looking at Amiens and Cologne and Angers and Toulouse above them still not really 
completely far away. I mean, two wins dramatically changes them from where they are to around about mid-table sort of position, especially although although their goal difference is maybe holding them back a little bit. But uh, um, that kind of thing can change very dramatically very quickly if Kumbwari can get some results. So just to finish on our, on our Liga and snapshots, and I'll start with yourself, Rich, this evening. What is your Liga snapshot? Uh, mine's very quickly um, just on VAR. Um, over the last couple of days or so, we've had some issues, shall we say. Um, I think we go back to the, the Coupe de la Ligue game between Lyon and Strasbourg, where I think Strasbourg were awarded a uh, a penalty that went to VAR um, and was given via VAR. And I think actually, even when you look back at all the replays, you still come to the conclusion, don't quite know how that was given. So I think we've got issues where even with things going to VAR, the right uh, the right decision still not being made. Uh, and then we look at I think today I think um, certainly the um, the three the three of the games that that were played today had issues with VAR. Uh, we obviously touched upon the the Marseille one and the contentious decision tonight. Um, albeit I think ultimately the right decision was made. I think what we're looking at, and it probably runs across all three of the decisions today, is it just ta- it's just taken too long. You know, decision in the Marseille game tonight, the goal was scored, celebrated, ball back in the middle, about to kick off, substitutes have been made, and then the the, the sort of nod comes into the referee to review it. Um it's that's that's taken too long. There was an incident in the um, Toulouse Strasbourg game today where Toulouse were awarded a penalty via VAR, and it took four, nearly five minutes from the issue being referred to um, to, to VAR to the the penalty being given ultimately and then scored. Now we shouldn't be having five minutes wasted on something like that. Um, so that still needs to be ironed out. And then there was the, the Nantes-Ren game today. Um, you know, I, I will try and remain um, bias-free on this, but there were certainly, I think, two instances, if you were a Nantes fan, you would feel slightly aggrieved, weren't at the very least uh, more formally reviewed and perhaps signaled to the referee that he should be reviewing them um, on the touchline uh, where there were potential foul. Uh, there was a foul, I think, by, by Mexair, arguably, and then almost immediately after that incident, um, there was a, a potential handball um, as well. So there's still VAR issues, and unfortunately, it doesn't take it. Ta- you know, you can have ten excellent uses of VAR. It unfortunately only takes one for everybody to pile on the the criticism uh, train, if you like, with with VAR. So the fact that we've had, you know, sort of three or four in the space of the last uh, four or five days just raises the issues that, you know, we're halfway through the season now and it's still not been, um, you know, put in as a, as a smooth, uh, efficient process. So still I think plenty of work to be done with VAR. Mm, yeah, absolutely, Richard. Great to point out, really. And uh, nice to see that um, despite the evidence that um, you had a Ren bias on our awards, that uh, hmm. you've shown a little bit on a, <laughs> even on a Breton derby day. Um, Adam, what's your legal snapshot? Mine's um we I had a few in mind but we kind of touched on all of them um uh, over the course of the show but um I, somebody I've been wanting to sort of praise for a while that hasn't that I haven't really had the chance to 
because it hasn't really come up. Um, and it's definitely not based on on performances this week, to be fair. But over the course of the season, um, he's somebody that has perhaps uh, at Paris Saint-Germain, who's gone a little bit under the radar. And we've talked about Neymar Mbappe, obviously, a lot. And and uh, Union Jack, so I've mentioned a lot. But someone else I've been really impressing that I just sort of wanted to draw to our listeners' attention, whose form has, has skyrocketed, in my opinion, over the last six months. So is Angel Di Maria. Um, there was a period under Unai Emery when the season Monaco won the title, when he got sent off away at Nice. PSG had beaten 3-1. And he'd spent the, the, the second half of the season complaining about not playing in the right position, playing very poorly, playing, looked, looked like he looked disinterested, um, looked like he was going to leave in the summer into Milan, were linked heavily. And he had a really, really poor season. And the, the, the player that started very well at Manchester United, obviously fantastic at Real Madrid in periods. For me, I loved watching. He was one of my favourite players in Europe over the course of that sort of those few seasons. And at the very start of Manchester United, he was brilliant. And that player had evaporated at, at Paris Saint-Germain despite a really, really good start. Uh, and you know Emery been really really poor as I said, but this season uh, since uh, since and and to some extent last season he was good, but this season in particular now that he's got competition he's he's been quietly brilliant uh, pretty much throughout the campaign and not just in in league and games but in Champions League games too he's played in a number of positions without complaining which obviously is a bit of a prerequisite for a professional footballer you should be able to adapt but even so he, he's made the most of playing right on the right on the left almost as an attacking midfielder he even played at, at wing back in, in one game against Angers and and did the job did pretty well he's played deeper in midfield at times and he's playing with an intensity sort of a, a little sort of waspish intensity that he, i haven't seen from him for for quite some time and and he, he he's getting about teams and defensives getting on the ball as much as he can picking some brilliant passes and and contributing to pretty much every other team and he signed a new contract at the start of the, uh, before christmas which just shows that he's gone from the exit you know pretty much uh, to, to being one of the most important players. And Thomas Tuchel's really put a lot of faith in him. And he's returning to the player that helped Real Madrid win the Champions League and helped Manchester United start really, really well. And he was sort of on course to being one, one of the best players in the Premier League. Obviously, that deteriorated quite quickly. But he's back to Di Maria that everybody outside France perhaps thinks he still is. We talked about Thiago Silva being back to sort of this, uh, the, the, the Silva we, we, we imagine him as, you know, this brilliant centre-back and he's playing like that. But Tuchel's also got the best out of Angle Di Maria. And I think we talk about Neymar Mbappe and there's sort of front three with Cavani, but really it's a front four. And uh, a lot of the time Di Maria has proven himself just as useful as, as, as the rest of them, if not more so. So... Um, It'd be interesting to see how his 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 form develops over the course of the year, and he could be crucial to them progressing in Champions League. So, um, a bit it might not be an original opinion to say Angle Di Maria is good at football, but he has he has been really really good this year. So so fair play. Yeah, absolutely. I think what I want to just very quickly add to that, Adam, is I wonder if maybe because he's not quote unquote the man like he had mm. to be at Manchester United and, and had to be in his early start of the season career at Paris Saint-Germain where he started excellently again but dipped off for you could say 12 to 18 months but has sort of recovered since there's players in front of him maybe playing a little bit more reserved having more options in front of him and not being the star attraction really makes him express himself as a better footballer because he has mm. been much better and, and does remind me of those days in Real Madrid where he even played in centre midfield for, yeah. for a good spell, didn't he? Um, mm. But uh, my Ligo snapshot goes to the, the most organised team in Liga and the season and they showed it again on Friday night and that's Raz who were 
terrific against Leon. really. They were really unfortunate to, to come out with a draw, really, in all honesty, because a lot of Leon's chances ended up coming uh, sort of from outside the box more than anything, and that's what they force you to do. A deflected goal is, is a Leon a, a one-all draw. They probably didn't really deserve at the end of it. And they're just really good at what they do. Rans, uh, uh, throughout the, f- the first 45 minutes, at least anyway, were, were tremendous on the counter, for one thing. They they make great decisions. They, they're incisive with their passing. They, they don't mess about when they're going to that side of things, but as soon as they lose the ball, everyone drops behind the back. And, and what I really enjoyed is, depending on where it shows you how good the management has been really this season and uh, David Guion because the, the way they set themselves up when the team have opposition have the ball, they get back in formation, it sets the back four and then there's the two wingers and then the midfield three as well. So, so there's the, obviously the striker staying up as, as the one and the, the two midfielders would sometimes, when the ball's further down the line and further into the final third, they'll drop into almost playing as wingbacks and almost have a six as the fullbacks pull inside and it absolutely bamboozles teams every single week. And you could see Leon just not able to work out where they could pick it out. They were thinking, do we go wide and trust some of our players to attack them? But there's not the space to do that because they're almost double teamed out there. Do we sort of slit through inside? But then because the fullbacks have pulled inside, there's there's almost a, a surrounding there as well. It, it, they couldn't work it out. And it's been all season long that Rance has done this and they do it to perfection. There's not a man that sort of changes it and they, like I said, the only reason Leon got through it is because of a deflected goal because even when they do get through, they've got Mendy to get past who's been sensational as well and, and credit to them and if you can't see them getting anywhere other than mid-table. I mean, with a couple of lucky results, they might even push on for Europe if they can They can really try, but uh, credit to them and, and showing you that there's more than one way of playing football and absolute coaching masterclass from David Guion and may long may uh, continue uh, that's all that we have for this week my thanks to Adam Rich and all of you listening at home um, do join us again for the preview show on Thursday but for now um, Abianto and goodbye <laughs>